Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. It's episode number 71. My name's Phil Huber. I'm your host. I'm joined, as always, by Logan Whitmer and today's special guest, Colin Knopf, from Popular Woodworking Magazine. On today's episode, we're going to discuss power tool organization, tips, and strategies. We'll also get to know Colin a little bit more, and we'll find out an update on what's going on in our shops. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Shaper Tools, makers of the Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with both speed and precision. You can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. So I feel like I need to point out before we get started, Popwood is out weighing woodsmith on this <laughs> two to one yep that's right <laughs> the funny part is that you guys actually believe that so. <laughs> so colin welcome glad to be here since this is your first appearance on the shop notes podcast maybe give us a little inside look as to what exactly your role is at popular woodworking so I'm the digital editor, and basically I handle everything um, that's popular woodworking's digital footprint, the website, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and then I also um, occasionally like write stuff for the magazine as well. Okay. It's, and it's interesting because we have, we have a different, we have kind of a different, I don't want to say process, but a different take on our stuff versus the Woodsmith stuff because a lot of the times... Colin will have content that's just online only, mm-hmm. and then we will then plug that into the magazine. Whereas Woodsmith's a little bit different. I mean, there's some of that, but not near as much. It's more of magazine, and then it goes online. So, yeah, kind of, kind of an interesting uh, difference. Yeah, we have a really good, robust online presence, and so that mm-hmm. kind of allows us to do some experimentation, mess with yeah. some stuff that maybe like wouldn't fit in the magazine. Exactly. Or, or like we want to see how our audiences feel about it before putting it in the magazine. So it's a really kind of a good test bed. Sure. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've been following on Popular Woodworking Online is your uh, Woodworking in America series, uh, mm-hmm. interviewing uh, makers from across the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, how far along into that are you? I've kind of lost track of states. I have just published our 24th interview this week. Okay, so halfway about. Yep, yep. So that that's been a really cool process, and I've been trying to base a lot of that stuff around Instagram, like just because it's a way to not only can the woodworkers get a chance to be interviewed by us, but they can also um, have a chance to kind of promote their own brand, their website. Sure. I mean, a lot of these people have woodworking businesses, and uh, so finding like that the digital element, but it's really kind of connected to the whole different group of makers on Instagram and I'm seeing all sorts of new, you know, connect with all sorts of new and interesting people, new techniques. It's been a really cool process. Sure. How about what kind of, uh, any of them that stand out to you in the process of, of doing those interviews? Um, I think one of the, um, favorite ones I ran into, um, it was someone, was it Milton? Was that his name? Yeah, Milton uh, Mizell. Um, 
he's he's a box maker and he makes these really ornate interesting boxes um and a lot of them are african inspired and so it's incredibly high-end craft work but it's in a um style that we don't see a lot of in box Holy making it's cow, not traditional stuff cool wow so I, just pull, I just pulled up his instagram that's crazy yeah, so his, his Instagram handle is uh, Mizell Woodworks. And if you go to the popular woodworking page, yep. uh, you can find it through there. It's about uh, seven posts down right now. You can see one of his, one of his boxes, and you can link to his uh, so Instagram he has, there. He has, very cool, uh, he has a very cool design. Like, like you said, definitely, definitely African-inspired type. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff and he, it looks like he mix, mixes a lot of textures in which mm-hmm. is something that's kind of interested me with some of my woodworking lately is mixing texture in so you have some not mm-hmm. only do you have the the actual piece so a box in this case you have some mm-hmm. tactile thing that makes you kind of want to pick it up and touch it because you know that it's going to feel weird yeah so that's, that's yeah fun. yeah a lot of this stuff like you really you just want to like really get like up close and personal with it which yeah. for something small like a box i think that's exactly what you want oh for sure in a piece like that it's that wants to be interacted with yeah interesting so. that's super cool so have you found um in the course of interviewing some of these people and especially you know it like you said it really has expanded some of the range of woodworking branches Mm-hmm. say is there anything that's been like i'm trying that like right now i'm gonna try this um that is a good question um there was one that um it was it's also it's, it's on our instagram page fairly recently um what's the guy's name there's been uh, so many of them <laughs> I know I'm drawing a total blank. Um, he did a a cabinet with a like live edge half door, so the door like closes on half the cabinet, but it's got a live edge sure. on that half door. Um, that was Richard Smith, Richard Smith from New York, and I just I really like it. It's like a clean, simple cabinet, but that live edge door gives a really interesting, different touch. Interesting. That's something we actually talked about last week on the podcast. Was some of the uh oh yeah i see yeah i see his his cabinet um we actually talked about that last week on the podcast was the live edge thing and if it's going away like like that is tastefully done in my opinion like that's not what i would go i mean there's i know i'm gonna rub some feathers the wrong way (laughs) there's some tacky live edge stuff (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's very tastefully done i like that yeah yeah no it's a nice kind of subtle effect sort of like Uh, what you want to see from live edge where it really appreciates the grain of the wood exactly that's and it's interesting it's a uh, it looks like it's a a vinyl player that sits on top of it in the Mm -hmm. box that's kind of cool yeah and he does a lot of cool stuff with grain he got a lot of good grain pop Mm -hmm. on on the stuff that he does which i really like cool at xx44 woodworks on Instagram, Instagram, yeah. Yeah. 20, 20, uh, 2044. That's what it is. 2044 Woodworks. Yep. Got yep. it. <laughs> Got it. Too funny. 
All right. Anything else we should know about you, Colin? Uh, I will say this. Actually, you got my last name wrong, Phil. It's Knopf. Knopf. Yeah. Everyone oh, gets that yeah. wrong. As soon Everyone. as I said it, I'm like, dang it, I think it's Knopf. <laughs> no, I mean, like, it's... Uh, Get it right. Yeah, literally everyone gets and people know me for years, so so right. that's, that's not right. unusual. That's fine. That's fine because you know why everybody puts an H in my last name when they spell really? it. Yeah, it's like they're like, oh, you're not in our system. I'm like, no, there's no H in my name. I'm like, I don't have to look. There's no H. <laughs> like, oh, I did put an H in there. Like, yes, yep. I know two you T's. did. Yep, two T's. Yep, no I H. Think, yep. I think my name was has appeared wrong in popular woodworking more than once. <laughs> so you well, know, there's that. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. We don't have the best yeah. track record on getting people's names right <laughs> lately. Yeah. So especially. hopefully, hopefully, more eyes on the magazine as we improve the proofreading process. That'll uh, that'll help yeah. that. For sure. My uh, my last name gets pretty butchered by telemarketers and. Hubber folk. It's Hubber or it's Hoover or something like that. Yeah. It's, nope, he doesn't live here. <laughs> Not until I go by my hockey name, which is Philippe Hubert. <laughs> Just so you sound French Canadian. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> they're the only ones that can play hockey real well. Yeah. <laughs> and Minnesotans. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So. Can't forget us. Yep. Right. So speaking of which, you're in the Twin Cities, yep. right? Yep, Stillwater, Minnesota. Okay. Whereas Logan and I are in in the middle of Iowa, so which currently has a jungle in it in the form of our office building cuz we're both sitting in the office and it's about 4000 degrees in here and mm-hmm. probably what, 87% humidity? Oh like, my gosh, it's everything it's hot. <laughs> It's it is raining. muggy all of a sudden oh my up here too. I turn on the AC not to cool it down because it wasn't that hot, but just because right. it was like I was swimming <laughs> to my kitchen. Yeah, yeah, I was walking our dog last night at like ten thirty or eleven o'clock or something, and I don't know how many houses I walked past, you know. And it's sixty-two degrees outside, you know, but everybody's got their AC on just to dry it out, just to dry it out a little. Yeah, I tell you what, yeah. my lumber right now is in no no danger of checking because yeah. there's no drying going on right now <laughs> it's easing that easing yes. that process that's right yeah but. colin how long have you been with popular woodworking i started in august of 2019 so will be two years august yep this year, so Yep, and it's been almost two years since I've been down to Des Moines, so looking forward. I'll be back down there next month, so yeah. looking forward to, yeah. to get a chance to, to see everyone in person again. It'll be fun to have the entire Popwood crew here yeah. at once. Which isn't that's actually <laughs> never happened as long as I've been here. We've never had yeah. all of the Popwood staff in one location, so it's, that's going to be... Watch nice. out, world! Yeah, Avengers <laughs> assemble. Yes. <laughs> We will butt heads with the eight Woodsmith staff. It's going to be great. It's going to be like <laughs> East Side Story over here. What the fight dirty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've been working on our dance fighting moves. Yeah. Good <laughs> preparation. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So what do we got today, Phil? Well, the topic that I was thinking of, and we were filming a TV show episode this week. Yep. And as part of the episode, I was spending a lot of time at the drill press. And for those of you who've seen the TV show and see where our drill press is off on stage left, 
we have this cool cabinet right below the drill press, four drawers, keeps all of our accessories right there. And yet what you don't see on TV in our very carefully curated views that we show is the sense of disaster that that is. Because you we mean have the a, drawers? Because yeah, they're nasty. It's the drawers themselves, but also, uh, and this is where I'm going with this, is like work habits around power tools. Now, yeah. I'm not talking about safety because we do a really good job um, in using tools safely. Uh, I think both in just our general work around the shop and also when we're on camera. Uh, I'm sure that there are people who will quibble with that, bring it on. But uh, what I'm talking about are basic work habits. For example, the Rikon drill press that we have, they're an underwriter, so they provide some of the tools, has a chuck key holder right on the left side of the casting, right by the, the handle. Is that chuck key in that holder 50% of the time? No, it's not. It's probably like on the cabinet below or on the shelves just off to the right, you know, even though there's a place in your pocket on the workbench, 20 (laughs) steps behind you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Same thing with like drill bits. Like we have places to put the drill bits, but often when you're switching bits out, you just pull the bit out and it just goes, I don't know gravity Mm -hmm. just lands wherever it lands which uh, let's be fair though i feel like this is an invention i feel like you're coming at me phil (laughs) (laughs) no to be fair when we woodworking on camera on the tv show on camera in general is is a little different than like day-to-day woodworking in the shop because you have we have people waiting on us so I'm not going to say I forgive us for not putting stuff in the right spot when you were, were trying to get parts ready to do a ne- another take and stuff yeah. like that. Like that happens. Like it's like, sure. oh, I need to drill these holes real quick so we can keep the process moving and make sure we get the filming done today that we need to get done today. Um, so that happens. Uh, but you're talking more like day-to-day stuff because I think that happens in personal shops all the time right oh i'm sure it does and it's something that i've been aware of and been full confession time this is something that i've been trying to develop as a practice in my home shop okay um and also in my professional life in my office you know is developing what i would call bench habits or you know work routines that if I'm, you know, let's just stick at stick with the drill press. Um, if I'm working at the drill press and there's a chuck, there's a holder for the chuck key. Every time I'm done using that chuck key, it should go back in the holder, right? It's just as easy to put it, it sure there is. as it is to put it in your pocket or to take it back mm-hmm. with you over to the bench or, yep. you know, to set it on the shelf next to the drill bits or something like that. Or when you get done with a bit change, that the bit that you're removing goes back where it belongs that doesn't fundamentally take any more time other than just straight allowing it to fall to the floor (laughs) than setting it somewhere else Mm -hmm. well and i think you can extrapolate on that because you know if you don't put that in the right spot the next time you go to even if it let's say it takes an additional 10 seconds okay like I'm bad at this. I will tell you right now, I am bad at this. <laughs> and I've talked before about how much I like my shop being clean and organized at home. 
and I'm not, I haven't been in my shop for weeks now because it's a disaster. I have not had two days to clean it. I will walk back downstairs with a drill or an impact driver and I will set it on my table saw or I will walk down there to get a bit and I'll unchuck the bit and I'll set it on the table saw. Yeah. Yeah. First available it, spot. Yes. And it takes 10 seconds more to walk three more steps to the drill press cabinet and put it on the magnetic holder. Yeah. I don't want to take the 10 seconds. So what do I do? The next time I need that bit, I spend 15 minutes looking for it. Yeah. So it's like, I should just, if I could have a shot color and somebody could just be watching me. <laughs> and when it doesn't go in the right spot, I get a good snap, you know? Any of our viewers would like to volunteer for that <laughs> position, I'm you sure, should contact I'm, me. I'm sure there are plenty of people that would volunteer for that. You know, so I've, like I said, I've been trying to cultivate that because I see people in our shop, you know, like Chris Fitch, uh, Steve Johnson have very, I don't want to say regimented, but they've put together a routine that their work areas are always tidy, even in the middle of a project. Not that they're all OCD about, you know, washing their hands nine times and sweeping up if anything falls to the floor kind of a thing, but they're, you know, like, like when Steve is working on his bench, if you want to know where the cordless drill is, it's always in the one spot on the bench. Unless yep. it's in his hand, it's always in the exact same spot on his bench. And, you know, a few weeks ago, we had Vic Tesselin on, and he talked about how his time in the Canadian Army groomed him in terms of how he keeps his workshop. You know, and it was almost like a throwaway line that, you know, he was in artillery, and when they had to move stuff around, it was like your equipment as soon as you were done with it was put back in its place in a service ready condition yes you know and yeah. that kind of reinforced me again of like what and maybe it ends up being a process change you know so that's that's kind of where i was going with it too is like you know drill press is one i was thinking mostly in terms of stationary tools you know drill press uh router table table saw uh maybe even your miter saw since that's even though it's a small tool, I consider it a stationary tool because, yeah, you know, I think at a lot of shops it lives somewhere. You know, not too many people are tucking it away in a, you know, on a shelf and pulling it out every time they need to use it. You know, so do you have, and it's a question that I'm just throwing out there, of is it better to have your accessories out in the open that it's a rack, you know, like at you're at the drill press that you see the drill bits. Yeah. There's open spaces for them so that when you go to grab it, it's all right there. Or are you like an enclosed storage kind of person that it, you know, the visual clutter is mental clutter and you need that. You need that cleanliness, even if yeah. opening up the drawer, the bits are just all helter skelter in there. That's I am very much a I want the clean look. Okay. I'm very much a put it in a cabinet and you're right. You might open that cabinet and it's like the room of requirements in there, right? Like <laughs> it's like everything in and its brother is in that cabinet. But I would rather be able to put everything away and have it look clean, but I know where stuff's at. Um, the one tool in my shop that does not have uh, let's call it two tools in my shop that do not have dedicated storage around them but it works fine is the so i have my table saw cart that holds all my table saw accessories 
I just we just finished that on video a couple months ago. Sure. Um, my lathe, I have a base that holds a lot of my stuff, but I also have a pegboard wall cabinet that actually came from our old TV set above it, and all my lathe accessories are in there. The only thing I don't have storage for, and it drives me nuts, but I don't really care at this point, is all my turning blanks. I don't have anywhere to put those. That's sure. fine. Not that big a deal. Um, my bandsaw, I have no storage for any of my bandsaw stuff. However, there's not a whole lot of things I need to store at the bandsaw. A couple extra blades. Right. A few Allen wrenches. I have a couple of bandsaw jigs, like a circle cutting jig. Um, I have a, an attachment that goes on my bandsaw fence, and my fence comes off a lot. Yeah. That type of stuff, I have the Powermatic 14-inch bandsaw. The base works well enough on there that I can just set the the like the fence and the resaw fence on the base, and it's there. It's right there. It's ready to go whenever I need it. Um, and I have my blades coiled up on a um, screw that's on the wall. Okay. So everything's there, but I don't really have per se storage for it. The other one that I don't really have storage for is my router table. Now I have a drawer that has all my router bits in it. Not worry about those. Um, the things that I need to store at my router table that I don't have storage for are the um, I have the woodpecker router table which has like the Jessam style which has the, the handle that pushes down and pulls up the, the lift yeah. so I need yeah. that handle I need the little wrench for the insert rings sure, and then the stack of insert rings and then the, the wrenches for the router I, those all live my router tables pushed up into a corner of my shop those all live behind the fence it's very rare that I take the fence off so they all stay behind the fence. It's not <laughs> they're they're there. They're right there. I know where they're at. I'm not going to lose them, but I don't have any storage for it. Would I like to build some storage underneath it? Absolutely. Like right. on on the TV set we have that Craig router table that has the uh, it was a Dennis Vols design. It has the two drawers to pull out, then it has a drawer underneath, and then it has a dust collection area. Yeah. Um, that works pretty well. The dust collection, I'm not necessarily sold on because router table dust collection is stupid, but the drawers work well. Yeah. So I'd like to do that at some point. But um, yes, I'm very much a keep the accessories with the machine. But if there's some form of enclosed storage, that would be great. My drill press, I have a hanging drill press cabinet that has all my bits in it that works that works well i would like one underneath my router or underneath my drill press i would actually like to change my drill press out for a bench top model instead of the floor standing model i have okay which then i would put it on a cart which would have storage underneath it sure um but yeah i'm very much in the mentality of keep it with the machine and if it's staying with the machine in closed storage okay so. That's that's my pony, and I'm saddling it. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, so my shop is both. Um, I my shop's a two car garage. I like to be able to park both cars in the garage as often as possible. So uh, my miter, miter saw actually Nonsense. is. I Minnesota winters, man. That's, that's true. That's right. true. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. So my miter saw actually does spend most of its time, uh, like parked on top of a cabinet. And then when I want to set my shop up, I take the cars out, and then I'm usually set up for a while. 
So everything does have have a place. I'm going to put that in air quotes there. <laughs> um, so if I want to, I can pack it up. It looks clean. But then as soon as I like set my shop up, nothing has a place. That's, it's yep, complete chaos the entire time working. <laughs> Stuff gets set places. Um, and, and my workaround has just been to get more of everything. I have more <laughs> pencils around the shop. Uh, I literally, I think last time I was at Harbor Freight, I bought like a half dozen um, utility knives. Sure. Because yep. I always need a utility knife, but I can never find one. And so I put them in all of my toolboxes. I like just literally threw some of my workbench. And I'm like, next time I come to the workbench going, where in the world is a utility knife? I'll have one. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work for all of the tools. Yeah. You know, if I'm trying to find like the, a chuck key for something, like then I'm, then I'm in trouble. But um, I usually, for stuff like that, I've started keeping that stuff attached with like a string. Sure. Or I, I've gotten better about like things that are really hard to replace. I have started to get better about actually having a system. It always gets put away in the same place yeah. because you know it's, don't want to mess with that. You know that's that's a that's a valid point because I don't ever lose my chisels. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I have expensive blue spruce chisels. I always know where those are. I know where every one of those is. Like, it's like I have GPS trackers on them. I know where they're at. I know where all my hand plates are. I've dropped, I have accidentally dropped one hand plate on the floor and broke it. Um, one of my old Stanleys. Uh, but you're right. Like, the stuff that's hard to replace, yeah, I know where that stuff's at. It's just mm -hmm. a, it's a complete mental thing. It's a complete, like, get on the ball yeah yeah i gotta start thinking everything is that valuable every drill right. bit is worthwhile yes right so, so you need to have like bruce blue spruce making like allen keys there, <laughs> right. you know, like $85 yeah. 316s allen wrench yeah oh well, it's funny because i was actually i you know to piggyback on what colin said i was i was cleaning my garage uh over the last week before my kids got sick uh I discovered there are a few tools that I can never find and I just buy a new one every time because, and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, I have 12 like four inch wide mud knives, like, like <laughs> scrapers, like right. the same thing with caught guns. I found, I found I have eight caught guns because <laughs> it's like, I'm at the, you're at the, you're at Menards and it's like, oh, caught guns, five bucks. That means I don't have to find my other, my other one. Right. You know, same thing with utility knives. At least those are things you're going to use time and time again. At one point yeah. in time, I bought a special tool. Literally, all that it does is remove drain plugs yep. from bathtubs. Sure. And I was doing demo in my bathroom like a month ago. I'm like, oh, perfect. I own one of these tools. And I recently like put all my plumbing stuff in one toolbox. Like I even know where it is. Go to the yeah. toolbox. It's not in there. It's not any <laughs> of the places I used to store it. And so I literally had to go out and buy this stupid like twenty dollar tool I just guess. to remove one tub from the bathtub, and I'll probably never need to use it again. It's it's funny because I found mine this weekend because I had to use it once <laughs> in my old house. I had to remove the drain plug out of my tub. It's like that little four prong T wrench that you use. Yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> now there are there are certain things though I think in my shop that I just discard immediately because I know I'm I'm never going to use it right like one of them and I found found it this last week when I was cleaning my garage uh, why was I cleaning my garage and not my shop I don't know but I was 
was the rabbiting attachment for a I have a handheld DeWalt planer. Okay. I, I bought it because I was flattening some huge elm slabs or something. Um, and Dylan had borrowed it here, and it's actually across the street still. Um, I found the rabbiting fence for it. It's like, I'm never going to use this thing to cut rabbits. Oh, garbage. Like, And now I'm going to need it at some point. And yes, the universal law. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do in your shop, Phil? Uh, right now... Right now, I'm in a I'm in a place where I have it as enclosed storage. So at my drill press, I have a vintage uh, Delta floor standing drill press, and on top of the base, I built a little four drawer cabinet. It's about the same width and depth as the base, um, and I keep my all my drilling accessories there. Uh, years ago, I replaced the chuck with a keyless chuck on it. Yep. So I don't have to worry about the chuck key, which is nice. But I keep, you know, like the top drawer are my brad point bits. Second drawer are my twist bits. Third drawer are uh, Forstner bits. And then the bottom drawer is, actually it's five drawers because the bottom two are like sanding drums and like, uh, like my spade bits kind of live sure. down in there. So I keep all of that enclosed. It's relatively close because it's, you know, if I'm drilling, then it's just right down below. Um, that still doesn't stop me from time to time of, well, cause sometimes you're using the Brad point bits in a hand drill at the bench, yeah. you know, and it's like, what do you do at that point? So yeah. uh, my router so where, table. Uh, where, have, where do you keep your, uh, like your handheld drill accessories? That I have in my, my rolling tool cabinet. Okay. I okay. keep a, you know, that's where like all my driver bits live. Okay. Uh, like my brace and bit are in there. Okay. Uh, that kind of stuff. So I try and keep I, all of that there. I have all that stuff at my drill press, which doesn't make sense. Yeah. Which makes a great YouTube video, I guess, driving screws with your <laughs> drill press. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, my router table is right now is just a little, that little bench top one that I've talked about before. Mm -hmm. um, that right now is living on top of my thickness planer. Okay. And that's next to my lumber rack, which has a series of drawers in it. So that drawer that's closest to where I keep the planer and my router table has all my drill bit or my router bits and wrenches and little setup blocks and things like that. So I have a few router table specific jigs that I keep over there. I have the Rockler box joint jig, which I think yep. is super cool. A uh, couple other things that I've made here and there that I, that I keep in a drawer in that, in that sense. But I've, I've also admired, um, you know, we used to get a magazine around here. It was like home shop machinist or something like that. Sure. It's kind of like the woodsmith for the metalworking crowd. Um, and I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a woodworking or I'm a shop voyeur anyway, you know, whenever I see other people's shops, whether it's you're out walking and garage doors are open or yeah. uh, photos in magazines or videos or whatever, it's almost like I have to watch, look at things twice where it's like to see what they're doing in relation to the specific content. And then second, it's like, what the heck does he have on the wall behind him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So, you know, there are the machinist folk, and I think there's a bunch of lathe 
folk that are like this too, where everything is very neatly arrayed in racks, either behind the tool or adjacent on the side so that whenever they're swapping out stuff, um, it's like right there, it's in the open. Um, and I, I think that appeals to me on one level, being able to, to like, you know, see it and know it and know where its home is. But a lot of those guys are doing this professionally. So there is, there's a natural neatness, I think, for a lot of those types of people mm -hmm. that in order to maintain your efficiency, you have to have that. Whereas a hobbyist woodworker who's not necessarily in my shop every day for hours at a time, you know, all that stuff is just dust collectors now. Yeah. I was, so, I was thinking when you said that about the lathe, the people that do that at the lathe and have all their tools sticking up like right, right there, they're obviously not turning wet wood, nor right. are they turning resin because there would be shavings. All like this just begins <laughs> yeah, the anxiety, the amount of stuff that would get caught in that tool rack. Right. Yeah. So, so while that's appealing to me, you know, and like I see, uh, well, like you know, like Steve and Mark yeah. and Chris in the shop, a lot of times they have their stuff out in racks that's visible. So when you're mm -hmm. at the table saw right to the right on the wall are the blades right below that the wrenches are hanging you know other accessories are right there out in the open and that you know so there is a natural appeal to that that it there's an efficiency of steps or whatever um, I kind of have a affinity for different you know because I do a lot of cooking at home too and so I'll see you know like Jacques Pepin the French chef who's done countless TV shows and books or whatever. I read his, his autobiography not that long ago. And he talked about learning to cook in a French traditional French kitchen. And he described several chefs where in the course of their work turned out fabulous meals or whatever they were doing and didn't take more than 10 steps because everything was always, all their supplies were, you know, clearly and in the same place so that they didn't even have to look up. You know, it's like, this is where this is. This is where that is. You just reach behind you and grab this, you know, there's, so there's an appeal to that, but I also know that that there's a big investment in order to get to that step. I just had a mental image of Ratatouille. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly, oh, that's, it's that's exactly I, that. Yeah. That's yeah. all I had a mental yeah. image of. <laughs> Yeah, favorite Pixar movie of all time. Right. Or like uh, uh, the character Wasabi in Big Hero Six, with all of his tools just very neatly yes. laid out and yeah. carefully outlined where they all belong. You know. See, that's I guess that's one thing I never really I appreciate, but I know I'm realistic enough to know that I cannot do that is those guys that have their drawers lined with like kaizen foam everything's cut out it like suctions into place and they shut the drawers and everything's nicely and it's like i can't do that i wish i could i wish <laughs> i could i can't it's like outside mining your office fill there's a there's a uh, a tool cabinet that we had built a number of years ago uh for the magazine that when you open up the lid 
there's outlines of where like a little rabbit plane goes and you know calipers and stuff it's like hey that's that's great and i love you know everything has a place i love that mentality everything has a place and it goes back there when it's done i change tools too much to commit to that (laughs) yeah and each each project you need different stuff too yeah so like if you're in your kitchen it's easy to have a workflow based on what you're doing but in a shop you might be grabbing tools from three different areas of the shop and so like trying to set up a system that is like that organized doesn't necessarily work when you get down to the nitty gritty because you know stuff gets used time and time again throughout the project and this is where I I maybe you guys may smite me I hope I am struck down as soon as I walk out of this building for saying this this is the one time I appreciate a tool well on a workbench. Oh my goodness. Because if you have a project, like Colin said, like depending on what you're doing, you might be grabbing different tools for different things. Like if you're building a chair, your toolkit for building a chair is completely different than building a bookcase, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate getting your tools out for a project and having the tool well. And that's where the tools live at the end of the day until the project's done. And then they go live back home. Sure. Um, along with all the shavings that collect. Right. <laughs> so. Providing you have that, those, those bench habits of yes. being able to put that back together. Exactly. So, and I, uh, you know, related to this, and I'm sure you guys can see it more in pop wood because of the, you know, you have a larger number of contributors who are contributing their own photos and as well as the writing. So you're seeing more glimpses into people's shops, but I appreciate the skill and the wisdom that a lot of professional woodworkers can display. Um, especially if they're, you know, committed to a certain level of production or, you know, efficiency and things like that. But I also think that, there is a limit to what a hobbyist woodworker can learn from a professional woodworker, Mm -hmm. you know, because Because they're different, right? Because somebody is, you know, if it's your profession to build boxes, like Colin was just saying, you know, your setups at different tools and at your bench are going to be largely similar, you know, same thing. If you're, even if you're a greenwood chair maker, you're going to have a set of routines that don't functionally change dramatically as a hobbyist woodworker, you know, I'm making spoons this month, next month I'm building a cabinet and using a lot of plywood, you know, hook knife is not going to do me any good with plywood. (laughs) You're not trying hard enough. then. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's funny because you're right. And, I, I actually noticed that personally on this last issue. We just shipped to the printer. I hit approved yesterday. What's today? Today's Thursday. Tuesday I hit approved on it. Um, was I, We had an article from Doug Stowe. And Doug has been around the woodworking world for a very long time. And he's written a lot of books and stuff. And, and Doug's very well known for his boxes. Right. Um, and this particular article is on installing quadrant hinges, so the little L-shaped hinges that go in between the, the bottom of a box and a lid. Uh, and his Doug's router table setup was very interesting because it's not a big, it's not like it's not like the Craig router table or the Woodpecker router table or the Infinity router table. It's not a big router table. It is a small 
I think it's like an MDF or it might even be a small hardboard top with a router plate in it. And that's it. But, and it, and it looks like he clamps it to the edge of his bench. And it works great because it's very small scale. He's scaling his his work area to what he's making. And right. he's mm-hmm. doing these little boxes. It's the perfect setup. I mean, it's very much like the the, the router table you have, Phil. That's a yeah. perfect, that is a perfect box router table because it right. the tool is scaled for the job. So, yeah. Oh yeah. But yeah. So. All right, is that horse dead? I think so. <laughs> Good. No, it's just it I just feel like it's an interesting topic because it's really easy to see other people's workshops and imagine yourself in that space or imagine mm-hmm. yourself on what it, you think it's like in that space and whether it, that really truly works for you yeah you know because i i see somebody uh you know you see a shop that has a lot of embedded history in it or experience and there's um a variety of things on the wall and it just looks kind of uh welcoming and appealing you know i you know somebody like nick offerman's shop if you ever see photos Mm -hmm. of his on instagram just looking around in the background, you know, there's pictures and posters and, you know, shelves of this, that, and the other thing. And it looks like a cool, fun space to be in. Like there's always something to discover there. But whenever I attempt something similar to that in my own shop, I get out there and my eyes just don't know where to rest. And it just does not feel, it does not feel shop peaceful to me when it's my own space. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we recently we published online an old American Woodworker article, and they used to do like workshop tours where readers could submit their workshops. And this was a guy oh, yeah. at like my messy workshop or whatever. He does wood turning and just like literally just sawdust everywhere. And talks about like oh like what's all these clean shop photos and stuff like that. And and on social media the opinion was completely split down the middle where half the people were like yeah this is what a shop should look like if someone's using it, and the half was like this is a fire hazard. Like, how can you, how can you live with this much sawdust around you kind of thing? Um, and it really, it, it does come down to that personal preference. Like you might, you know, something might look aesthetically cool in an Instagram photo, but if it's not working for you personally, then your shop's not doing the job it should be doing. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and I will say uh, like as a wood turner, I get it. Like, it can make a mess. And at the end of the day, if you just got done doing a couple big bowls, last thing you want to do is sweep up. Personally, though, at my house, or I, I, to me, it's like, do you know how many mice would be living in there? <laughs> like, <laughs> living out in the middle of the timber, I got mice all over. Like, there would be so many little mouse babies in there. Uh, so, you know, I get it. But And we get the same comment. It's funny, we get the same comment on the... Uh, our TV set all the time. Like if we take a photo and post it to Facebook or Instagram for, of the Woodsmith set, people are like, "Oh, where's the sawdust at?" It's like, "Yo, this is a TV set." <laughs> like, like there's sawdust. Trust me, you go walk in there, you'll realize there's sawdust. Yeah. You might not see it, but that's because we have a crew of six people as we're filming that is continuously running brooms and, you yeah. know, you got thirty thousand dollar cameras. You don't want those caked with sawdust, right? Um, yeah, and. And it's funny because I see a lot of, you know, people like I have, you know, Matt Cremona is up in Minneapolis and I've been in his shop and 
that's a true like woodworking shop. Like it's a shop I can relate to. He does a lot of filming and stuff in there, but it's a true just straight up woodworking shop. You know, there's he very much has stuff out in the open, stuff he's using, um, and it's more of what I would call real woodworking shop where you know what you need something to hold paint cans so you made it you need something to hold chainsaw bars you make it you know yeah. and it is it the you know super elegant designed woodworking magazine project no but that's not what most of us do in our shop you no. know like yeah. a lot of the times it's like my slat wall in my shop that has all my tool holders on it like i had this big romantic picture in my head that oh, i'm gonna have this beautiful white slat wall i'm gonna paint all my tool holders with my black hammered paint that i use on a lot of my other stuff no ain't got no time for that like (laughs) you're lucky if you get the tool holder done and it's matching plywood yeah i will not edge glue the plywood together to get enough but (laughs) it's because you're missing out i know (laughs) one of one of my friends mike elliott here in uh in town listened to that podcast the other day and he texted me he's like hey you want to see my workbench and he sent me a picture and it's all edge glued plywood and i'm like (laughs) come on mike (laughs) exactly right and on that topic of organization logo i've been to ask you because i saw that you had the slat wall how have you felt like about that versus pegboard because i'm trying to figure out what Um, i'm going to do in the shop or maybe cleats actually uh, I would. I was going to do cleats, but quite honestly, I like the fact that I could just drive to Menards and get the slat wall, mm-hmm. and I just screwed it up there. And I can. There's a bunch of different holders. I can have shelves. I have holders that I've made for different power tools that go up there. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I don't like about pegboard is that I always feel like the peg, the holders, the hooks always pop out. Mm-hmm. Like we have yep. all of these different reader tips on keeping them in there and they work but they just never hold stuff how i want it to hold stuff Mm -hmm. and yeah you can make them and i have we've shown it in woodsmith before i have a couple of holders that have been made in my shop um, that i got from auctions here or whatever that are designed to hold you know screwdrivers or chisels or whatever and they work Mm -hmm. pretty well Mm -hmm. um but i always find that if i bump something it falls off yeah so I was, I was, uh, I, I'm, I've been very happy with the slat wall. Okay. Now I think if I end up building a shop, I think I'll go with cleats. Okay. I think I will go with cleats, um, just for a little bit more secure connection because that slat wall, at least the one I bought is particle board. Mm-hmm. It's particle board with like a melamine top on it mm-hmm. or melamine face. So I feel like if you had something super heavy, I think the, the heaviest thing I have on there right now is probably my probably my belt sander or my yeah, my Colt's not very heavy. It's probably my belt sander, and it probably sticks away from the wall the most. I'm not afraid of it falling, but I think if you loaded something up, um, I think it could. Um, I think it could break that particle board. So yeah, maybe. yeah. I've, you know. I've heard about some people complaining about that when I was doing my research, and so then I was leaning. Yeah. I have a, I already have a couple of pegboard walls, but I was I wanted something that could hold heavier, yeah. more substantial stuff. But maybe I, the cleats I, is the way to go. Yeah, I think I think I like the pegboard idea um, because you can nest stuff together really tightly. You're not limited to linear hanging and storage. You know, you can kind mm-hmm. of nest stuff, um, which 
I have two pegboard walls in my in my garage, and they have a ton of tools on them. Um, and it works for just getting stuff up off my bench in the garage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm. Although I will say, I I really like the the pegboard for my uh, lathe stuff. You know, I have hooks in there that I have some of the. I think they're probably sold as like screwdriver holders. They're just round, and there's maybe you know eight or ten holes on them and I, all my lathe tools fit down in there um, and with the system I use it works well because they just slide in I have big long hooks that hold like chucks and collets and stuff like that uh, and so I guess from that aspect I really like it for my lathe stuff um, but for the other type of stuff like putting sanders on it um, putting um, little boxes that hold my chemicals on it um, I like the slat for that that makes sense. So basically yeah. fitting, you know, what do I want this wall to do or this section of the wall to do? Exactly. And then choosing based off of that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Let's wrap things up here with a update on any projects that you have going on. Logan, we'll start with you. Uh, so I have, I don't have a ton of projects going on right now. I have, I still have that stupid built-in for my wife's office that I have. I bought the one for it and I never started it. Um, I did, I have been working on a tool for this upcoming issue of Popwood. Um, it is a, I don't have it with me. It's a little bronze casting of the Studley mallet. So if anybody has ever seen the HO Studley tool chest, um, one of the most famous tool chests in history, um, there, there's a guy, uh, Bill Martley, that has started producing castings of the mallet. Um, mm -hmm. So you can buy the bronze casting, you put your own infills in, and a handle on it. Um, so I started working on that, cleaning up the casting, uh, so I can uh, get some photos done for that for the next issue of the magazine. Um, I do have a couple of, so I have these guys. These are a set of chisels from um, Mr. Kimmins uh, that we're going to be including in the next issue, which I think will be super cool. And I accidentally bought a couple tools. Like I know that I, <laughs> you, I get mm -hmm. shamed for mm -hmm. buying stuff and I do it to myself. And I keep saying I'm done buying vintage tools and then I buy more. Right. Uh, so two of them, well, I don't have one of them here. I bought two of them yesterday. Uh, Phil and I showed you one. This is completely not woodworking related. I mean, it is kind of, but not really is this guy. <laughs> so this is a gavel. Now, this is a gavel I found at a flea market here in town. Along with this gavel, I also bought a number nine sweep J Addis carving gouge that for like three bucks. But this gavel is like, I don't know if you can see it. It is pitch freaking black. Like this thing, I, it feels lightweight to be ebony, but I'm convinced that it's ebony. I took a shaving off the, the bottom of it and it's black through and through. It's quite obviously wood. You can see the grain, um, but it's turned very delicately. Um, and I quite honestly, I bought it because it's very nice to hold. It was like four bucks. And I have a feeling, Becky told me I was weird when I said this yesterday. If I find a tool like this, or if I find something that I just really like how how it feels in the hand i'll usually buy it so i can make a pattern off of it so right. at some point i'll make a pattern off this because i have a bunch of little hammerheads that this would make a great pattern for the for the handle yeah the other tool i bought i haven't told you this phil because i wanted to get your candid reaction on this oh boy i bought accidentally at three in the morning now 
not how you think the story's gonna go. It was not it was not a gin and tonic induced purchase. So there is an But it was (laughs) there there's an auction in the in England uh that is uh called the um hold on, I'll tell you what it is. Uh anyways it's an auction in England that happens every couple of months. Uh, it's the Richard Arnold auction. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, wait, maybe I didn't buy this one. No, this one was the David Stanley auction. This was the David Stanley auction. Uh, and it's a tool auction. Okay. Now the beautiful thing about England is England has a long history of woodworking. England's been around for a long time. I don't know if you guys knew that, <laughs> but, but they have a lot of, a lot of vintage tools, very inexpensively compared to the U.S., okay? Sure. And I have been on a hunt, okay? And I have been on a hunt for an infill plane for a long time, okay? And I flipped through the David Stanley catalog the day, two days before, and because it's happening in England, it happened at 3 a.m. our time, central U.S. Uh, so I'm flipping through the 800 and some auction lots, and I identified 22 tools that I wanted to purchase, okay? Now, I put minimum bids on each one, or I put maximum bids on each one, I guess. I, right. I put the, the price on each bid that I wanted, to, that if the auction went higher than that, I wasn't going to buy it. Yeah. And so I put all these bids in on these 22 items, uh, and some of them weren't necessarily tools. There was a big milk crate full of boxwood, so I put a big bid on that because I wanted the boxwood, but I didn't get it. Uh, but anyways, I put I put auction minimums on 20 auction lots. And then I started thinking, wow, I probably should have paid attention to how much total I was bidding. Because <laughs> what happens if I accidentally win all of these? And I added it up and it was like 3,000 Great Britain pounds. Like it was a lot. And I was like, oh my God, I hope I don't win any of them. I only won one. Okay. All right. Which is, is I'm I'm happy with, and I'm very happy with the one I won. It's an it's an infill plane. It has not arrived yet. Um, I just paid for it the other day. Uh, there was a 27 percent buyer's premium for online bidding. So not only are you spending 50 pounds on a product on a item, you're also paying 27 percent on top of that plus shipping over here. And it's in U.S. It's in Great Britain pounds, so you have to add like an additional 30 percent. So it's it, very quickly you could spend more than you want but regardless i spent uh what i thought was a very reasonable price for this completely brass infill smoothing plane uh i'll i'll get a photo for phil to put on the show notes page uh so i'm very excited to get it i did not mean to buy it but this is one that i wanted i'm very excited for um i have kind of had a small love affair with english style planes lately so i'm excited to try this smoother out um and this may lead down the rabbit hole of making some infills because um, I've done the little English planes, the miter planes. Mm-hmm. Um, this might open a doorway. We'll see how well it works. If, right. I'm, secretly, I'm hoping that it doesn't work at all and it's just a bear and I'm going to hate English infill planes. I don't think it's going to happen. Spoiler, but... <laughs> you're not. I know, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, so... Not not a whole lot on the woodworking front. Some small minor purchases, but now I have a gavel that I can whack stuff with. So mm-hmm. this might become like my carving mallet. 
There we go. It's a nice size for it. It doesn't have a ton of heft behind it, so I don't think I could damage anything. So yeah. There you go. Yep. So or settling staff disputes, that kind of right. thing. You just kind of rule. Yes. Yep. Colin, you got anything that you're working on right now? Um, I'm about to get started on something. Weirdly enough, Logan, I also have a gavel in my shop. Nice. Yes. Yeah, see, yeah. not the only one. I, I got thing. it from a friend like years ago as a joke. And then when I was moving into this house and unpacking stuff, I'm like, oh, this would go really well on the hammer rack on my pegboard. Sure. And right. so that's where it has lived ever since then. I don't think I've actually ever used it in any woodworking application yet. But but I do also have a gavel in my workshop. Um, be a thing. Yeah, so I have a uh, set of nightstands that I've designed and I was supposed to finish sometime in February, I think, for the magazine <laughs> mm-hmm. originally. Mm-hmm. But um, I've had a, a bathroom renovation project that kept getting delayed and couldn't unpack my shop because my garage was filled with a bathtub and a water heater and all sorts of fun things. Um, and so I'm ri- finally ready to start working on that. Uh, it's The design is inspired by like a mid-century modern desk that I oh, saw cool. when I was looking for a desk design. And I'm like, I don't like that as a desk, but that'd be really cool to adapt to a nightstand. Um, so it's kind of so your box that's going to be floating between these really kind of elegantly carved legs. And so I'm li- really looking forward to getting started on that and documenting the whole process. And then... I think that's supposed yeah. to go in the December issue at this point of popular woodworking. Yep. Yep. We'll push down the road a little ways. Maybe when you're here for the, uh, uh, that week, mm-hmm. maybe we'll shoot it while you're here. Yeah. I can bring the wood down. That would be, yeah, that yeah. would be, that'd be good. Cause yeah, actually it'd be kind of cool to actually not have to worry about, uh, photos, getting my shot photograph ready. I have all the stuff. We've got the lighting mm-hmm. equipment, but you know, that adds, uh, that adds, adds a lot, lot more of time. time. Yeah. 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 I've got like a 10 year plan to have dedicated shop space <laughs> and I can leave stuff set up. But uh, yeah. in, in the meantime, I'm still going to be like more like a driveway woodworker or whatever they call it, where it's it's not not totally dedicated space. Fair enough. So okay. that's where some of the best woodworking happens. All right. I have a I'm working on a Danish modern cabinet for my sister. Talked about this before. And I got the side assemblies all taken care of and the top and bottom case bottom are all put together. And I've done, I'm trying to follow my own advice and pre-finishing different parts before getting to the main assembly, even though there's that itchy part of me that really wants to get a project assembled because you want to see what it's really going to look like. Mm-hmm. So you I'm very often tempted to get the glue and the clamps out long before they really should be, yeah. you know, Yeah. because the outside I'm going to stain dark uh, with uh, old masters has a color called carbon black that I really like. Oh, so you are going to use the carbon black on that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But okay. I don't want the inside of the cabinet to be carbon black because I mean, the inside of cabinets are often a, it's a dark hole to begin with. So I want, natural finish on the inside and then the outside the carbon black so I need to and I just don't like putting finish on an assembled cabinet on the inside of it it just whether you spray it or brush it you know half of it ends up on you you have to wear a shirt you don't like yeah it's dripping and sagging you know just all kinds of nonsense that happens so I'm 
I'm doing pre-finishing the inside surfaces in a natural color, and then I can do the outside in the carbon black. Um, and then when it's all assembled, I can spray or apply a top coat, you know, a final top coat all the way around and gives it a unifying sheen. But um, so I'm trying to take my time there, which sort of slows down the construction at this stage, but I think actually speeds it up in the long run. So I'm pretty excited about that. And um, still working on my workbench project. I'm getting to the drawers and milling up that white fur into drawer stock is super cool. Logan oh, got to see man. some of those pieces yeah. and it is a, it's a delight. I would How much switch. did I charge you for that stuff? Yeah, so not like enough. The price just doubled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It makes me want to convert entirely to vegan woodworking and go all softwoods. Yeah. And as much as I love my walnut and cherry, um, man, that stuff is just so fun to work with. So and it, and it looks good. Like I, you did a good job selecting out of what was what probably seventeen or eighteen boards that I brought in off that log, something yeah. like that. Like you, you picked out some really good grain for like the drawer fronts and stuff. Like, I'm excited. Like, yeah. please tell me you're doing like an oil clear right. finish. Right? Oh yeah, you're it's going to like, be water based. Yeah, it's going to be oil or shellac or something like that. Where something there's a, that's going to give it a little color, a little bit of amber yeah. tone to it without going all all yellow on it. But I'm I'm really excited about it. Even the bench, the top pieces, I'm excited to see uh, come together on that. So and then. Uh, because of my job, I know the fortunate place that I'm in, um, in trying to develop video content for the magazine. So I get to double dip on some things. So I've actually started on some Christmas presents, Logan, only because I'm going to be using them for video shoots. So, God. so there you are. I think this beats last year's. Like it does, last actually. year, I thought you started way early, like in July. Yeah. Like we're closer. We're still closer to the previous Christmas than we are the next Christmas. I love my Christmases <sighs> and I love giving people gifts. So I guess I guess it's, uh, it's super exciting. So there you go. Cool. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the shop notes podcast. Uh, if you were listening and watching us on audio only, and are curious about the tools that Logan was showing or things that we were talking about, don't worry. You can see it online on our YouTube channel. Uh, we'll also post some photos and other notes on our show notes page. That's at woodsmith.com slash podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, we'd love to hear them. You can leave them in the comments section on our YouTube channel, or you can email us, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next Friday for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. Once again, we want to thank Shaper Tools for sponsoring this episode. They're the makers of the Origin handheld CNC router. Allows you to tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. You can try one risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Go to shapertools.com.